covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in. This is actually our final show in the 2020 calendar year. We generally take a couple weeks off right around the holidays, so uh, we will not have a show next week. Although this year with New Year's Day being on Friday, you know, we may do a show in two weeks. But next week we're going to be off. We may be off the next two weeks. Just telling you now. Generally, I think this would actually be the week that we would uh, take off and then the next week. But we're here right now. And we may be here in two weeks. I don't know. I love talking about the Brewers, and I love doing this podcast. So uh, we don't want to take too much time off. So this might be, uh, I believe, uh, let's see, episode. I'm looking real quick. This is a podcast, so I could go back and and re-record this, but I'm not going to. It's going to be like it is live. What number are we on right now on podcasts? We are inching up on 200, I believe. We are into the 190s as I continue to vamp to make sure I can find what I am looking for via the podcast. This is episode 198. If I would have uh, only taken one week off each of the last couple years, we could be doing episode 200 before the uh, new year, but we've still got uh, a couple more shows before we get to uh, episode 200. But nonetheless, here we are. We're going to be off for at least one week. We may be off for two weeks. But then we'll get right back at it, and we'll have at least 50 straight weeks of, uh, of doing this podcast here. And uh, we appreciate you being tuned in. There's nothing going on. There's there's so little going on right now. In fact, our featured conversation is going to be with Scott Warris. He is the host of WTMJ Nights, 6 o'clock to uh, 9 o'clock on WTMJ. And uh, a friend who I like to have on this podcast, We just I, I think we have good conversations about baseball, and I hope that's what we can uh, provide you coming up here in just a little bit. But we're just, everything's going slow. Everything's going really slow. Craig Council did speak with the media this past week. Uh, it was his winter meetings chat, even though everything was done from a virtual standpoint with the winter meetings. He didn't say a lot. Uh, strong confidence that Christian Yelich is going to bounce back. No real update on Ryan Braun, on you know, no conversations at this point on if he's going to be uh, possibly back next season or not back next year. That continues to sit in a holding pattern. Even though teams have been told to uh, prepare like there is not going to be a designated hitter in the National League next year, he feels like there's still a chance that can happen. Uh, continuing to go through prep work, they are acting like it is going to be a 162-game season that starts on time. That's kind of the... Uh, the the basic rundown of what he had to say this past week major league baseball owners kind of floated out the idea of starting the season later they said it would be so all the players could receive the vaccine uh, a lot of pundits out there believe it doesn't really have so much to do with the players it has more to do with uh, enough people having the vaccine that they are going to be able to uh, open up the gates and have fans in the stands uh, and not have many games at the beginning of the season without fans whichever side you uh you kind of sit on just get ready it could turn into a fight because just about anything can turn into a fight when it comes to the major league baseball players and owners so there certainly is a possibility that that's going to uh could turn into a fight because the players they want to play a full 162 they want to play a 162 game season they want to be paid for a 162 game season uh just as last year the fight was over the number of games that were being played the players wanted to play more than 60 uh where the owners wanted to play just the the 60 so there's always a fight the the big fight is going to just be sitting there on the horizon because we are going into the final year of the current collective bargaining agreement, and I can't even imagine how ugly negotiations uh, can potentially get for that next uh, CBA, which we'll actually talk a little bit about with uh, Scott Warris coming up. Brewers did make a couple small signings this week. Uh, they added left-handed reliever Hobie Milner. Uh, Milner is kind of in the same mold as an Alex Claudio who signed with the Angels this past week. Uh, last year, Milner was, uh, let's see, he had an 8.10 ERA with no record, appearing in 19 games. They also uh, signed Dylan Cousins. Now, Cousins at one point, he was a, a big-time prospect in the Phillies organization. He did not appear in the big leagues last year. In fact, over the course of his uh, major league career, 
He only has 39 at-bats, so a guy whose uh, career has not gone quite in the direction that uh, maybe he was hoping it uh, it to go and, and the trajectory that it was on at one point in time. These are both minor league contracts with invitations to uh, big league camp, and uh, we'll see uh, right now, according to uh, Adam McCalvey, Brewers have not announced a date that pitchers and catchers are set to report to uh, American Family Fields of Phoenix for the start of spring training. Their first Cactus League game at this point in time is scheduled for February 27th. But to say that is a uh, a tentative date would be an understatement because I don't think any of us have much of an idea of when spring training and when the baseball season is actually going to get started. All right, let's get to uh, this week's featured conversation. As mentioned, uh, it is Scott Wars. He is the host of WTMJ Nights from uh, 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock on WTMJ, except... Except on Thursdays, and also when like there's a Bucks game or a Brewers game or a Packers Thursday night game or the NFL draft or something like that, uh, but you get the idea. If there's no nothing bumping him, he is hosting from six to nine. He gets bumped for an hour on Thursday nights from uh, from eight o'clock to nine o'clock when I'm hosting Brewers Weekly. Uh, and so we'll say this, Scott. There's a rumor out there. There's a rumor. That our little crosstalk period, you know, 7.55 or so on Thursday nights, you're wrapping up your show. I'm getting ready to do Brewers Weekly. We do the crosstalk thing. Uh, I have heard a rumor that that is the highest rated, you know, five-minute period of the week on the entire radio station for uh, for the entire week. Have you Have you heard that same rumor? Well, not only have I heard it, I think I'm the one that told you that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I, I will say this. I will say this. It's a segment where really not sure how it's going to unfold. Where you think it may go one way, and then whoop, it turns on a dime, and suddenly we're headed in a different direction. And I will say this, though, for the segment, it is probably <laughs> it, is, it is probably the longest crosstalk segment of all the crosstalk options. In a WTMJ broadcast day, yeah, absolutely. Because like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful on you know Gene to Steve, Steve to Jeff, Jeff to Jeff to John, but essentially that's the hey, what do you have coming up on the show today? Well, and then you know 30 seconds of what's coming up, and great, we'll be listening, and the, it's over. You and I, <laughs> we actually we we talk for a few minutes. <laughs> don't spoil, don't don't give away all the industry secrets as to what goes into the. The uh, well-planned, well, maybe not well-planned, but the long-planned-out crosstalk. But, uh, yes. No, it's, what um, What are we going to talk about right now? There's nothing happening in the sport of baseball. Well, I shouldn't say that. Brian McCann got signed, right? But nothing else is happening. I mean, they had the winter meetings. Kind but, of. You know, uh, Scott Boris held his annual symposium or whatever the heck that is that he does, and everybody fawns and gathers and worships at the altar of Scott Boris, but what are we going to talk about here? What's so, the plan here, you know, It's interesting you say that. I, I've been to two winter meetings, and oh. uh, the first, and, and when I went to the winter meetings the first time, to be perfectly honest with you, I was not aware that, that Scott Boris um, does his annual, you know, state of Scott Boris address, and I was there <laughs> as a job seeker. So, uh, there's a lot more to the winter meetings than just like the major league aspect of it. Uh, there's a whole minor league aspect to it. There's a job fair. There's a huge, uh, one of my favorite things, when you went in uh, with the uh, Professional Baseball Employment Organization, which is how I got to the winter meetings, through a, uh, a ticket through them, they gave you a pass into the convention center where you could go see all the people who were, you know, if, if you made a bratwurst, you were there. If you made a, a mascot costume you were there because all the minor league baseball teams are there and it's a chance to go you know the trade show of baseball and the great thing was you could like walk around and have your lunch there because everybody who sold anything food related was there trying to get you know different major league and minor league teams to buy their stuff but I remember walking around and when you're a 
when you're, you know, what I was, I was probably 22, 23 years old the first time I went there uh, looking for my first job in baseball. And you just kind of walk around and you go, oh my gosh, look at all these people that I'm walking by. Like, it's just, it's a who's who. And you, you look for the big crowds as well, because if there's a big crowd, you know, it's like a big deal. And I remember walking down the hallway and I saw this huge crowd, this huge throng. And so I went up to see what was going on. And I was really, really disappointed when it was Scott Boris speaking, and that was the crowd that was uh, that was there. I have to, you know what that reminds me of. I need to have my, I need to have my annual Scott Boris uh, state of the state address. When when is my symposium? So I got to tell you this story though. Every time I hear his name, obviously it rhymes with my. Every time I hear his name, I remember this story. Um, my grandmother was since passed. This was uh, well. This had to be in. This would have been in 2000 and, 2008, 2009. Had to be after, uh, yeah. And um, she goes to me one day, she says, man, they're talking about you a lot on, on TV. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, clearly they're not. But I'm trying to understand what is it she's referencing. And I don't know, I couldn't figure it out. And then I saw her maybe a week or two later, and she said it again. They're talking a lot about you again. And I'm trying to think, who or what is going on? And I followed up and I said, well, how, where, where? On, on the local news during the sports. And I realized she was, she was hearing the name Scott Boris, mm. Scott Boris, in relation to, at the time, Prince Fielder's contract with the Brewers when it was up. And was he going to resign or was he going to go to free agency and, and leave Milwaukee? And every time I hear the name Scott Boris, for a moment, I remember the time when my grandmother heard that name bandied about during the local sports casts during the Prince Fielder sweepstakes that offseason. And she thought they were talking about me the entire time. Because hmm. he was Prince Fielder's guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and if, if that would have been you, uh, you would have made a lot of money on, on that contract. You know, people forget how, like, Adonazio went all in, right? Yeah. The $100 million deal. Yeah. Or offer, I should say. Offer that he made Prince Fielder. Was it four years? $100 million, I think. It was like $25 million a year. And that was about as rich as, as, as he could, or rich an offer as he could make. And everybody got up, you know, got, got angry at, at Fielder for not taking it, things like that. But I often remind them that, you know, when you talk free agency, there's also the, because this is what Fielder faces, as I recall. There's the pressure by the Players Association, there's the uh, by the union, to take the most lucrative deal possible because you got to move the ball, you got to move yep. the football, to mix metaphors against. you got to set the next bar higher so that the next guy who comes along has to reach for clear what Prince Fielder got. And I, I always admired Adonazio for making that offer, and I feel like there's still people who are either grousing either at the Brewers for, wow, how could they not bring him back? And, or the fielder himself, or how did he not take the $100 million? I think maybe it's timely because here we sit in the offseason. There are a lot of factors, outside factors, that go into you know, a player's decision when it comes to signing a deal. Like there's union pressure to set that next bar, set that next mark. People forget about that if they even know it at all. Yeah, I think it's still very much a thing. That's and it can actually help the Brewers in a way because that that motivation actually I think helped lead Yasmani Grandal to the team that year. He signed the one year deal because Grandal went into that off season saying he wanted to set the market yeah. for a catcher's contract. It did not happen. So instead of taking a multi year deal, he took a one year deal with the Brewers and said, "Okay, I'll try to set the market next year." And he did set the market with that contract with the White Sox. So it. It absolutely is something that does continue on to this day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. So how come the? How come we're not seeing any movement right now? How come we're not seeing any? How come? I mean, like I said, it's the can, and that's it. I mean, what? What's the deal? Yeah, I mean, what's your what's th your take on why it's happening or not happening? I th and I think we're going to see pitchers move a little bit quicker than uh, and you know you get. 
you get the occasional sign, like kind of somewhat low level signing every every few days. You know, Michael Waka signed a deal the other day. Um, I, you know, just uh, the Braves signed somebody recently. I'm trying to think off the top of my head who it was. Uh, the Braves signed a pitcher recently. Who was that? Uh, anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, basically not a lot. I still think it's kind of. I think they're holding out to try to as long as they possibly can to get a little bit more information on what it's going to look like. You know, we learned this past week that owners are already talking about trying to reduce the number of regular season games. And they said it was because of player safety, which I kind of I scoff at a little bit because they just got through a year. Admittedly, it was a 60-game season, but they, they got through the year playing, uh, and, and they did a really good job of it. And now they're trying to say that they don't want to be able to play until players get vaccines. Uh, I, I think their true motivation there is they don't want to start playing until they can have a good number of fans in the stands. But for whatever reason it is, I just think – the fear of the unknown is, is there, and they don't know what revenues are going to be, and because of that, they are continuing to move very, very slow. And the other thing, Scott, is the slower they move, the more desperate the other side is going to get. So by moving very, very slow, it's going to continue to push salaries down, I think. Hmm. Hmm. You know, that, that reminds me. Oh, I, I should interject here. Prince Fielder was with the Brewers through 2011. I don't know why I said 2007 or 2008. So the conversation I had with my grandmother was after the 2011 season when he left to deal with Detroit. Um, but to the, uh, to the free, agents, uh, free agency market and, and the revenue that's there or is not there, uh, I haven't asked you this, so I just hit me right now. I heard this hypothesis, this theory, and maybe you've heard it, but I want to throw it to you. I've heard that because I believe the Mets are the only team that have gone through an ownership change this offseason. Steve Cohen, right? Yep. Steve Cohen? Yeah, now the richest owner in Major League Baseball. Right. I have heard it hypothesized that because Cohen was not an MLB owner last season, he is the only owner of all the teams that did not lose money. And because of that, he has an advantage over every, not, I mean, plus he's the Mets and he's a, you know, quadrillionaire, all that stuff. But he didn't, he didn't lose money on his team last year because he wasn't an owner last year. Whereas everybody else in some way, shape or form is having to deal this year with the loss that they incurred this past year. He was a minority owner of the Mets. I, I don't know what percentage it was, but he did have a stake in the Mets before. I don't know. I don't. I don't buy that. I think he's just a guy that has more money than he knows what to do with, and his person. I mean, he's a guy who's on Twitter. He's out there. He doesn't fit the mold of a major league baseball owner. He's almost like, um, oh, what's the name of the guy who owns the L.A. Clippers? Um, Oh, Ballmer? Yeah. Yeah, he he reminds me of him in a way. Like, he just does things his own way. So, I understand what's being said. I don't put a lot of... uh, Now, I think the longer he is a Major League Baseball owner... The, he's going to slowly kind of assimilate into the group think that happens across Major League Baseball ownership, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, I, I guess I was just coming at it from a, I wasn't coming at it from a, from a, how does he operate? I just mean, he didn't lose money the way all these other owners lost money last year because he wasn't the majority Owner. Yeah, so, I mean, going back to what Scott Boris said, you know, Scott Boris, we started talking about Scott Boris. Boris will tell yeah. you that owners didn't lose money, they just made less money. And the truth is somewhere in between. But, and I'm not, look, the, the revenues that were coming into the Brewers were not what they normally are. So whether they made money or whether they lost money, clearly uh, they did not bring in the revenue that they would bring in in a normal year. And that is true across all of baseball. But at the same time, uh, I don't know. I, I, I just don't buy that. I don't feel like that's going to have the impact. Hmm. Hmm. So how active are the brewers then? What's the word on the street? What are you hearing on your sources? I mean, is this going to be – because you know, I feel as if – first of all, I'm not anticipating 
I mean, I know they've done a couple of things here, and but um, kind of under the radar, or you know, have made major waves. Like, I'm not anticipating anything of any real <laughs> consequence, shall we say. I mean, and if people are, and I've heard people who are voicing frustration, oh, the Brewers going on the cheap, oh, here we go again. It's like whatever fill-in-the-blank year that you want to analogize. And I'm thinking, I mean, <laughs> at a, you know, I've said this on, on this podcast and other places before. I think Adonazio doesn't get enough credit for the money he has pumped in and his willingness to make a move um, uh, if if the team has shown a, an ability to to compete and whatnot. Um, but for people to be, you know, already really frustrated with the lack of moves and all this stuff, it's like, people, wake up. Look at the situation that the sport is in. Even if Adonazio and all the other owners haven't lost money, they've simply made less if you follow the Boris line of thinking. I mean, I think that there's a dose of reality that with our market size and whatnot, that just I'm surprised fans are as frustrated as I've heard them to be considering all the factors that play in our market. It's kind of silly. It's, it's just, it's an, it's an unrealistic expectation. If, if, if you're coming into this office and thinking Adonazio is going to throw money around, in my opinion. Yeah. Look, there's, yeah, I wasn't trying to discount the the less revenue that was coming in. Even if you made money, but you made less revenue, which there's, I don't think anybody can argue that they there was less revenue that came in. That's that's pretty clear, and it's a it is a remarkable different amount of revenue that came in this past year. You're from a business standpoint, you're not going to spend as mm-hmm. as much money when you've made less money. But the thing is, you look at the NL Central. And you can look baseball across the board, but I think specifically for the Brewers, let's look at the NL Central. The Cubs are trying to drop payroll. The Cardinals are essentially going to maintain or drop payroll. Uh, the Reds are certainly cutting back on payroll. The Pirates don't matter. Uh, we'll see if the Brewers cut payroll by a lot or if it's more of a maintain. I think payroll is going to be down a little bit, but I think when you compare it to some of these other teams across baseball, it's going to be more about maintaining than it is cutting. I could be wrong on that. I just don't think it's going to be this huge, significant cut. It's just going to be kind of a, a moderate cut. But if that's the trend across baseball, then you're not you're not in this hole compared to everybody else because you're kind of in the same place as everybody mm-hmm. else. Now, I do think the Mets thing is interesting because when we look at the National League, clearly we look at the Dodgers as being the class of the National League. We look at the Atlanta Braves and we say, okay, that's a that's a really good team with a young nucleus. Who who else is the who what other teams are there that you feel like are like a shoe-in to be a playoff team. And if the Mets are going to throw around money this offseason when nobody else is, it's not going to take that much money and it's not going to take that many moves all of a sudden for the Mets to maybe be one of those upper echelon teams in the National League. And we're not out of the woods yet. It's not as if, okay, boy, 2020 was, uh, that was a beast from a baseball financial revenue perspective. God, I can't wait till 2021. We'll hit spring training and we'll jam ballpark by opening day. <laughs> nobody, nobody knows when it's going to happen again. You're looking at a, a, a long-term or certainly at least a multi-year situation where you're not going to be at 2019 uh, revenue levels, let's just say. I mean, how, how long is it going to be before teams here close to home, the Brewers, how long is it going to be before the Brewers can have another 2019 uh, season in terms of ticket sales and revenue and, and, um, you know, and, and, and uh, merchandise sales and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and on that note, it's not going to be next year. And no, it's not, probably not going to be 2022. You're maybe looking at 2023. I realistically, the next time, you, you know, an owner or a baseball team can rely on 2019 normalcy. Right? And I, Something I'm going to be really interested in, and this goes beyond baseball, but it, it really is relevant to this conversation right now. So, Scott, if you're if you're walking around somewhere and you see a couple people give a hug, or if somebody sticks their hand out to shake your hand right now, or if you walk into the gas station and there's a bunch of people not wearing masks, I don't know about you, but for me there's like this, this 
really uncomfortable feeling. Like even when I've there's been times where I've watched game shows recently and the game shows were clearly taped pre-pandemic and people are jumping around and close to each other and hugging each other and it's just we've been, in a very short amount of time we have been trained that all about social distancing and it feels really really uncomfortable when you don't see that. So, let's go to a place where the vaccine is finally being distributed to the masses and the the, the COVID numbers across the country are way, way ta- down and uh, professional sports teams are, are opening up the doors and, and allowing pretty darn close to, you know, full attendance once again. I am really curious to see how long it's going to take for mm-hmm. people to still feel comfortable walking. And my wife asked me today. Uh, and, and we've got a kid, so we don't exactly go out for dinner very often anyways, but we were, uh, we were at the mall today and we walked by a restaurant and it smelled good. And I don't think we have eaten in at a restaurant since this whole thing has happened. We've done a lot of takeout. We've done a lot of delivery. We've probably bought more like restaurant food since this uh, than before it happened, but we have not stepped foot into a restaurant and actually sat down. And my wife actually asked me the question today, like, when are you going to feel comfortable walking back into a restaurant and sitting down? And I just, I wasn't sure. And there was some irony to that because we had just walked through a mall for a half hour. Uh, but I just, it's going to, it's going to take some major kind of life viewing changes, if that makes any sense, before I think we're going to see these full stadiums again. I agree completely. And not only am I curious as to when that happens, I'm skeptical as to how soon that happens. And, I mean, if you think about the numbers, they say uh, about 70, 75% and higher of the national population, the American population, has to have the vaccine in order for herd immunity to take effect. So, I don't know, I haven't done them. Whatever the math is of uh, how many people are there in this country, 300, 350 million, whatever it is. But there's going to be a psychological... (laughs) element of this thing too and all along we've been operating under this premise that man as soon as that vaccine is is out there people are going to be flooding back to well we're talking baseball here so flooding back into baseball stadiums but it can be movie theaters it could be football stadiums it can be you know cruise ships and stuff like that and i don't think so i think and the analogy i use is i think it's going to be a, instead of instead of opening a uh, opening a, a fire hydrant and the water just, you know, rushes out to the point where you walk in front of a fire hydrant with the gushing water, it's going to push you back. Uh, it's going to knock you down. I think it's more like a faucet. I think they're going to turn the, you know, vaccinations are going to get out to the, to, the, to the common folk, Matt, like you and I. <laughs> and it's going to be more like turning on a faucet. And it's a slow, slow pour and and eventually, as time goes by, it'll be a stronger flow of water out of the faucet. And it'll be a slow return to those group settings. Because a lot of people, and I'm with you, I agree, a lot of people are going to, they're going to need some convincing. They're going to need to see that the vaccination is working. And so you start talking baseball. Well, when are we going to have 40-plus thousand people crammed into Miller Park again? And that's why I look three, four years down the line again. I mean, at least, at least, like I said, 22, 23. Um, because I think there's, I don't think we're giving enough credence to that psychological factor. I think everybody, again, has been operating like, oh, as soon as it's out there, boom, we're all back at it and we're rocking and rolling again. I'm going, I don't think so. I think there's going to be a lot of trepidation. Um, by sports fans too, and I'm eager to get back. You're eager to get back for crying out loud. Yeah, but I think it's a false assumption. Yeah, and we talked a lot uh, during the season, and you had asked me some questions about what it was like to cover the Brewers this past year because I was I was one of the few media members that actually got to be inside of Miller Park for Brewers games because we did the post game show from there, and there was you know the daily beat writers were there occasionally. There'd be a TV guy in the press box, and and from a radio standpoint point outside of the team broadcasters it was uh 
it was just about me and and nobody else inside of the market. So I, it was not lost on me how lucky I was to be one of the few that was there, but it was so different, and the fun of it was not what it used to be. And we're both college basketball broadcasters, Scott, and so you're kind of you're dealing with this where it's impacting you in a very direct way for the first time, where you're broadcasting in empty arenas or you're broadcasting uh, games remotely and some of the fun of sport has been lost and it just feels like we have to uh we have to trudge through what we're doing now with the hopes that the the normalcy will be back sooner than later now i actually think maybe we'll probably disagree about this on a little bit i think 2021 is still going to be very weird through much of the year but i i I think we as human beings and we as Americans, we man, we, we forget things so often and, and we just kind of, you know, it, it it took a very short amount of time for us to get really uncomfortable with seeing people shake hands. I think it's going to take, you know, just the same amount of time for us to once again kind of forget what it was like during this pandemic. So I would predict that in 2022, things are going to look very, very, very close to normal, but I also, when this thing got started in March, never, ever, ever thought that on December 20th, as we record this, that we would still be having this type of conversation. (laughs) But um, it is encouraging that, I mean, the line I like to say here is only in the last week is right now, right now, there are needles going into arms with the the, the vaccine, which is just, I mean, think how long... how long? It's been nine months plus. Oh, when is the vaccine? When is the vaccine? And we're finally to the point now where, what I hear today is two million plus uh, doses have been delivered uh, across the country or something like that. Um, yeah, you know, I think fans, I think sports and players, once the thing gets back, 22, 23, whatever it might be, they'll appreciate, you said what appreciation before, they'll appreciate it. They'll, they'll appreciate the fans more. I mean, think of it in in baseball, and but in all sports, a home field advantage. And it was never, it was hard to measure. How do you measure a home field advantage? What is a home field advantage? Is it the fact you get to sleep in your bed as a player? Is it the fact that you have the crowd there cheering you on? Is there really a quantifiable um, a quantifiable something that you can measure uh, when it comes to an in-game situation? You know bottom of the ninth and you, you need a strikeout or you need a big hit or a basketball game and it's, you know, a young team and crunch time late in the game. Well, maybe a crowd does play a role. I think we come out of this sports perspective. We come out of this whole thing going, you know what? There is, there is, and I don't know if we can quantify it even now, but I think athletes and broadcasters and those involved in sports professionally or, or collegiately can say, yeah, Fans make a difference. Yeah, is it a touchdown? Is it a run? Is it a out? Is it? Well, I don't know how. Well, I don't know what the value is, but the but not having them there. You see, with football, not having them there is to the detriment, I think, of the home team. And is it an extra? Like I say, is it an extra run per game? Probably not. Of course not. Is it an extra? I don't know. It may still be hard to quantify. But we're all going to come out of this thing going. It's, it's home home court home field advantage. It's a thing. It yeah. exists. I I don't think it's quantified in runs per game. I think it's if we're going to quantify it, which you're right, we can't. But I think we quantify it in big moments that don't happen because there's not fans. You know that 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 catch that's made when when it's a one run game and and you got this outfielder who's just really juiced up the hit that that happens because the the hitter's just that much more locked in everybody's up on their the top step and everything you know, the, the intensity was not there this year especially during the regular season that exists so i think where you quantify it is those big plays that are made late in games that maybe were not made this year well it- I agree with you, and I would say maybe even more so um, on the other side. It's the it's the rookie pitcher who, or or you know, or or the the recent call up who suddenly is pitching in the eighth inning of a game in September that the team has to win, and they need him to you know they need an out, and there's and he's on the road, 
and there's 40 plus thousand people yelling and screaming. This heart rate is, you know, going off the charts. It's that, it's that rookie in the batter's box with the bases loaded against Josh Hader, and there's 44,000 people screaming because it's at Miller Park, and the odds of him making contact are now a lot more difficult. But you take the fans out, and I imagine the heart rate has to drop. I mean, they, they, we say it's not quantifiable. It isn't in terms of sports data, but I'm, I'm sure the physiological human response in a pressure situation is your heart beats faster. You know, your, your pulse races more when there's 40,000 people screaming. I know players say that, well, I, I couldn't hear the fans and I just calmed down. Well, that's usually the veterans. I mean, you don't hear a lot of rookies no. going, yeah, you know what, calm, cool, and collected, because they haven't been in that situation before. They haven't been able to train themselves psychologically, if not physically, to handle that situation. So you say player makes a big catch with the crowd in the atmosphere or a big hit with the crowd in the atmosphere. And I say, what about the kid who can't hit the ball because of the atmosphere or the pitcher who can't? who gets rattled and can't make the pitch he needs to in that atmosphere. Whereas that batter and that pitcher may do that if there's nobody there because it has the atmosphere of a inter-squad game in Maryville. Yeah, I agree 100, 100%. Do you uh, – uh, we're – we're a year out from the collective bargaining agreement coming up anyways, and now the seeds are already being planted because owners are already talking about wanting to start the season late. Players are saying, no, we're playing 162. Get out of here with this. And it just it seems like the negotiations for next year's collective bargaining agreement actually began before this past season when they went through the tough mm-hmm. negotiations to get to the 60. It feels like any decision they make this year about you know, players aren't going to want to give anything up this year because they're going to feel like it shows weakness going into the next collective bargaining agreement. Like I don't feel like these negotiations about this upcoming season are just are just happening you know, in a funnel, I feel like there's the at least each side probably feels like there's implications about the next collective bargaining agreement that goes along with any decision that's made this off season. Uh, I agree. I mean, look, I my head hurts whenever people start talking about collective bargaining agreements because you know the inner workings obviously better than I do, and other people do better than I do. Um, but you definitely got the sense, and just you know, from the fringes, trying to understand what was going on this past, well, this past season, as they tried to negotiate for whatever the season would look like, you got the sense that it was. It may have been in some instances, depending what the, what the point was, they were trying to win. It was more; they, they were almost operating more uh, with the thought of what will this mean for uh, post. 21 and the CBA negotiation and it's jockeying for position and well you gave look you gave in or we gave in or we gave you this two years ago or in the summer of 20 and uh, this sets us up now for good negotiating position now and I don't know I went back and forth so many times do I whether whose side I was on or where whose side I probably not on one side or the other more or less you know who you kind of lean towards a little bit more than the other and I don't know. Are you optimistic? I mean, what? Are you, <laughs> no. are, are you as far as you, you don't feel good? Okay. I okay. feel. <laughs> I I feel. I I made a joke to my wife the other day because I, I uh I don't like talking about this too often, but losing a hundred games of baseball this year had a uh, had a financial impact on the Pauly household, and I I, I made a. Uh, I made a joke with my wife the other day, like, we might be doing this all over again here in a little bit more than a year because there's no guarantee that there's even going to be baseball in 2022. I feel very, very uh, pessimistic about what those negotiations are going to look like. What? Who could, who 
could solve it? Who could fix it? I mean, Theo Epstein. Me, me... Theo Epstein. He is. Well, he, he is available. <laughs> if if anybody had half a brain, and I know people listening to this probably don't like him because he's so attached to the Cubs, and I get that. But he's somebody who completely understands understands things from a player standpoint. He's understands things from an owner's standpoint. He he's a charismatic guy. He gets people to believe in him. He absolutely should be brought in as some sort of like third party negotiator to be the go between between the players and the owners in these negotiations. You don't get a guy like this very often who doesn't currently have a job. He's the guy that needs mm-hmm. to be utilized. Well, he's going to run for president in 2024, so he might be preoccupied. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, maybe not. Who knows these days? Yeah, yeah I, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I had heard, it reminded me, I had heard just this past week that um, somebody made a suggestion somewhere, I was listening, that baseball needs, uh, what was the term? Was it like a president of baseball or something? It was a yeah. It was Scott Boris. I, I think it was Scott Boris who said, you know, Manfred's oh, job that's is what it was. yeah. It was Manfred's job was. to uh, legislate the game, and they need to bring in a CEO to grow yes. the game. CEO, that's what it was. Yeah, maybe Theo Epstein could be the CEO of Major League Baseball because you're right. You you have yeah, Manfred so aligned with the owners for obvious reasons, and you got the players and the. Players Association and the head of the union and whatnot on that side, and you kind of need a go-between, a go-between as a CEO to grow the game, and it's Theo Epstein. Although I don't know, it just seems like Epstein can. Epstein is is such a bright person, uh, let alone all the success he's had. You just he strikes you as somebody, and you've heard his his press conferences are remarkable. His press conferences are so. So outside the norm of just you know a a, a suit or a, 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 a field manager you know giving you cliche lines and things like that. They're insightful. They're charismatic. Um, he he. They're they're thoughtful. Um, if a reporter asks a question, Epstein will you know he'll he'll answer the question. It will maybe not answer it to a T, but he always gives you something. You walk away going. I feel like I know a little bit more now than I did before, and so that's why I think he could he, he could do so much. I I'm mean, not, the guy could be commissioner, for example. But yeah. I'm not trying to make this a Theo Epstein love fest, but no. But, but hang, hang on a second, hang on a second. You have to apologize for it. And I know you said there may be people that listen to this that get upset. Look, people, you got to get over it. Okay, he is he's a Hall of Famer. He was a Hall of Famer before he joined the Cubs. And. How is it? And I'm a Brewers fan too. I root against everything that comes out of the Chicago sports scene. Don't get me wrong, but you can still step back and go, that guy is a brilliant Hall of Fame baseball mind. He's proven it in two remarkable instances. So don't apologize, man. Don't apologize. Well, and to to take that one step further, I believe that one. And we'll finish this conversation off on this. I think one of his parting shots when he was leaving the Cubs is going to end up having a remarkable impact on baseball. And one of the things he talked about was the aesthetics of the game and how with all the data and everything that's being used, how they have hurt the game aesthetically. The ball's not in play quite as much and things like that. Stuff that I've been saying for a long time and stuff that tons of people have been saying for a long time. But the moment Theo said it, you have heard that repeated over and over and over by managers and executives over the course of the last month. David Stearns talked about it recently. Craig Council talked to, across baseball. It is being talked about about how the aesthetics of baseball are not what they once were, and maybe rule changes need to be put in, whether it's banning the shift, whatever it might be. Rule changes need to be put in play to uh, to put in place to try to create um, a better looking, a better feeling baseball game. And Theo said that. And if these rule changes move forward and if baseball kind of gets back to what what it was previously and the way it was more, more fun to watch, I think Theo Epstein deserves a lot of credit for saying that. Agree. Baseball's problem is, and this is hard to say and for some hard to hear, baseball's problem when you talk pace of play, you know, and, and why isn't it um, uh, attracting 
more people, younger audiences that's interested. Baseball's problem is his baseball in that it's the game itself, the actual rules of the game. And the whether that's pace of play, whether it's you know what is allowed, what isn't allowed, and it seems like all this time they've been trying to you know fiddle around the uh, the edges, the fringes, rather than realizing that you know what maybe the game itself, the actual game itself, is not is not geared for a what do I say twenty first century audience and attention spans and things like that. And I'm not saying baseball should go away. Of course not. I'm saying you got to look at fundamental structural changes to keep this thing viable for another, you know, 100 years. It's a really interesting discussion. It's funny though. You're right. People have been saying it for a while now. Epstein says it and suddenly it's, Oh, we better take it seriously. Which is, you know what, if that's what it took, fine. Like I, because you don't win baseball games by bunting the runner over or by, uh, by you know, whatever it might, all those like 80s small ball sort of things. But that was, that was incredibly entertaining to watch. The data proves that you don't win games that way. So people who are smarter than me, people who I think are smarter than you, Scott, uh, need to figure out what can, what can be put in place where – Action can be promoted in the game, but not at the detriment of actually winning baseball, if that makes sense. Say that again? Say that again? Changes have to be made such that what? Changes need to be made where actual action, where the ball is put in play, where guys are making plays, so that there is actual action taking place, where it's not just strikeouts and home runs. Mm -hmm. People who are smart need to find a way to promote that happening but not at the detriment of losing baseball because right now if a major league baseball team goes out and says you know what every time we get a base hit we're going to bunt that runner over to second like things like that well that team's not going to win very many games they're just not so they got to figure out a way to bring the action back to the game but it not have a negative impact on teams ability to go win games there's so a lot of people complain about bunting in that they don't know how to bunt. Why don't they get that guy over to second? Uh, I feel like in the last mm, two years, maybe, I hear a lot less people, a lot fewer people, I'm sorry, a lot fewer, uh, fewer people crying for the bunting game. I feel like that's finally, the tide has finally started to turn where there's enough people now that realize it's just not happening anymore. You may want it to happen, but it's just not happening, so there's no point grousing about it anymore. Man, I need to take a day off of Brewers extra innings at some point and let you come host the post game show in a in a game where the Brewers lose by one and they had a runner on at first and nobody out in the bottom of the ninth inning. I'll take that as a they're still out there, Scott. Yes. All right, I'll take your word for it. I, I won't take you up on the offer. I'll just take your word on it. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, before we go, give a plug for uh, for your show that you do uh, almost every weekday night, seven uh, six to six to nine. Although Bucks are back, so uh, all of a sudden you're uh, you're not on quite as consistently. Look, if it means Giannis is staying in town a few years longer, I'll make the sacrifice. WTMJ nights, weeknights, six to nine, when there is not a Bucks game or a Brewers game. Or Brewers Weekly on Thursdays at eight o'clock. Those days, I am the lead-in for the Matt Polly Extravaganza. But uh, yep, three hours weeknights six to nine, unless there's sports. Thank you. On Thursday, you should just change the name of the show from WTMJ Nights to Brewers Weekly Pregame. I have to say, I, I four years from now, um, if I'm doing the pre-debate shows that I was doing this past election cycle. I am going to steal your idea, perhaps, as we had a pre-debate show and then post-debate shows for reaction and things like that. And uh, I believe you were the one that uh, suggested or, or coined the term, uh, what was it, uh, DEI, DEI debate extra in. Yep. Yeah. You know, so I am. I uh, steal that from you in 2024. 
this is obviously not a political pod. I am a, I am, I am pretty. I'm apolitical. I just, I'm so sour on our current political system on both sides. Like it's just like let me talk about sports and not worry about anything else. And maybe I'm just covering up my eyes to to, to more important things that are going on. And if that's the case, so be it. But all that being said. I really enjoyed your post. I would look. I wasn't. I wouldn't always listen live, but I would listen to the podcast the next day, and I really enjoyed listening to you break down the debates or the yeah, I guess well, debates. I, there was the first one especially, but that was just the the train well, wreck. What that was in between uh, the two, and listening to you and, and your callers, that was pretty fantastic. Uh, it's kind of you to say. I appreciate that. Uh, as for that first presidential debate. Uh, this past election cycle, that was, I can honestly say I did, uh, I had to do very little post-debate work on that show as uh, the 45th president and the 46th president of the United States, they pretty much, they pretty much provided all the necessary material following their first debate. I just opened up the phone lines and the microphone and, (laughs) and a bottle of, Scotch and did the show, and the rest just played out in real time. It was something. It was something to be sure. All right. One way of putting it. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Scott. We'll have you on again real soon. Thank you, buddy. Scott Warris joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's going to do it for uh, this week's program. Just a uh, reminder for you. We are not going to have Brewers Weekly either, for sure, for the next couple weeks. The next two Thursdays are going to be uh, New Year's Eve and before that, Christmas Eve. So we are going to be taking those nights off from WTMJ from 8 to 9. We will not do a podcast next week. I'm not sure if there's going to be a podcast beyond that. So we're kind of in our in our late December, early January lull. And then once we hit that first week of January, we're going to jump right back into things. Uh, I really appreciate, look, this has been a really weird year. I am so thankful that uh, 2020 is over. Indications are that 2021 will be better than 2020, but obviously the start of 2021 going to look a whole lot like 2020 as we're still, we still got a little ways till we uh, get out of this tunnel, but uh, it's been a weird year. Uh, the fact that there has continued to be so much interest in the Brewers in a year where in some ways the team was not overly compelling uh, and in, in many ways the team was not as interesting to people because they were not able to actually go to games and actually going to games is so much of the experience when it comes to Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Uh, still got just great interaction with folks and a lot of people listening and everything and uh, I really do uh, I really do appreciate that. So uh, thank you so much for being tuned in uh, to this program and uh, and all everything that we do from a uh, from a Brewers uh, standpoint. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, being tuned in and look forward to talking to you in the new year with more Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.